Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. We continue season six with our podcasts on the classics of the moving picture era. Films that have defied the test of time and remain timeless classics in our hearts and remembered for raising the bar for others in the future to reach or maybe even surpass. So for episode 55, we're going to talk about the 1978 prison drama Midnight Express, written by Oliver Stone and directed by Alan Parker, and starring Brad Davis, Irene Miracle, Bo Hopkins, Randy Quaid, and John Hurt. The prison genre is an extremely inviting and a curious genre for the audiences. It's also a difficult one to define because what constitutes a prison movie? I mean... Yes, of course, the prime location needs to be simply set at a prison, but how much of the film needs to be set in a prison for it to be classified as a prison movie? Westerns, for instance, are easily identifiable as a genre set in a rural landscape with certain stock characters like cowboys, sheriffs, bartenders. You even have certain iconographies like the horses, the mountain ranges, the galloping, the Mexican standoff, even the ideologies of a Western movie. The premise of a reward for a villain or a new sheriff is in town or a rivalry that builds and builds and ends up concluded onto a new town. We know exactly what a Western is, even as far as how many Western films there have been. They have Western actors like John Wayne and Clint Eastwood. So Westerns, we know the genre. We know everything about it. Like Westerns or even um, romantic comedies or horrors they are just as identifiable but prison movies the prison genre more specifically seems to not have a definitive um you know a definitive uh, trademark like the westerns or the horrors they tend to sort of blend into hybrid genres like drama or thriller or biopics most prison films usually tend to play on the themes of a person being wrongfully accused of a crime and their struggle throughout the film in prison they usually end up in, uh, you know, in an escape that the character is plotting throughout the mid-course of the movie and has done so in an elaborate form like the chisel in Shawshank Redemption or the whole idea of some movies are the escape itself, like The Great, Exa- uh, the great, the great Escape with uh, Steve McQueen or Escape Plan, uh, more contemporary with Sylvester Stallone. But in these movies, you do tend to meet certain stock characters like you do in Westerns. The protagonist is usually always the same, innocent or perhaps not. Just the film makes us, the audience, show sympathy towards his or hers dilemma. Then you have the gangs within the prisons, the wardens, who in most movies tend to be the antagonist of the story, which is the irony of the whole genre. Behind closed walls, things seem to just flip around, and this is probably what is so intriguing about this prison genre. This lifestyle is absolutely naked to us. We have no idea what prison life is like unless we've been there ourselves. It's like Mars to a majority of people. It's on par with a space movie. Everything we know about prison is probably from films or documentaries. It almost acts as a documentary itself, the film. And some prison films tend to blend into the courtroom genre where they plead for the innocence unfolds. Most biopics or real-life stories tend to go into that category, and people love a good story that's actually happened before in real life, like uh, Denzel Washington playing Reuben Carter in The Hurricane or Burt Lancaster in The Birdman of Alcatraz. Or you could even classify uh, films like Zac Efron playing Ted Bundy. And right there, uh, with that example, with Ted Bundy, is a great example of what makes this film a prison movie. And that's where the debate starts to get interesting. Is that film a prison movie? Is Con Air with Nicolas Cage a prison movie? 
You can even look at prison films and how they represent different rules by seeing films made across the world and their interpretations of their system, like Scum and Bronson in England to the Green Mile in the 50s in America, even though that's based on a book and not in real life. But you can see that these films have maybe wrongfully given us these impressions of prison life. And we don't know any better. And that brings me on nicely to Midnight, Midnight Express, which focuses on a prison in Turkey. But how much of it is authentic? So the film tells the real-life story of Billy Hayes, this American college student who is in Turkey with his girlfriend in the late 70s. And all he does is he tries to smuggle some cocaine back to the USA. He straps it around his, uh, his waist. So with the movie opening up with this very tense airport scene where we see Billy trying to smuggle in the drugs and given this false sense of security by the film once he bypasses one security and we get this sigh of relief only to fall into another airport security search and this is all mixed in with this ominous sound of his heartbeat in the background making for a thrilling opening 15 minutes of the movie in fact that 15 minutes the opening 15 minutes is probably the only scene that's outside of the turkish prison probably adding to the audience's entrapment to this prime location us making us the audience really know this prison So he gets caught with some drugs strapped to his chest. The guards at the Turkish airport are just thankful it wasn't a bomb, even laughing about it and acting really casual with him. And Billy is just as casual knowing that it wasn't a lot of drugs and he will probably just get a slap on a wrist with a big fine, but no. And this is where the genre plays on the audience's related sympathy with the character, the main character, even though he is technically a criminal. Billy ends up doing life for smuggling. That's right, life. Discarded by his own government in America and totally in the hands of this Turkish government. He is locked away in a Turkish prison where the rest of the movie carries on, where they see where you just see these familiar aspects that you do in films today, like befriending a cellmate or gangs or the evil unfair warden. And then we assume that an escape is in the timeline of this movie, but that's not right hinted away yet. So the script itself, you know, was written by a fairly unknown person at the time. Of course, talking about him now, that sounds silly. This movie was adapted by a real-life story that was written by Oliver Stone. Of course, Oliver Stone went on to direct Platoon, which won Best Film, and he won Best Director for that film too. In fact, Oliver Stone was, I think he's won three Oscars, one for this film for writing, but the other two for directing, which is for Platoon, like I said before, and Born on the 4th of July with Tom Cruise. He's now really well, yeah, he's a well-established director now uh, since I would say Platoon, which was in the late 80s. To say that he's established is probably quite misleading. He is only one of 18 directors to have won the Academy Award for Best Director twice. I mean, he's sharing that honour with the likes of Spielberg and Alfonso Cuaron. John Ford apparently currently holds the record for Best Director Oscars with four wins at the moment. But Oliver Stone is still alive and so is still Steven Spielberg. So, you know, there's still time for them to surpass that record. So the script details the true story of Billy Hayes, like I said earlier, in his time in a Turkish prison. Now, this film did not really sit well with Turkey whatsoever. The film was actually banned in Turkey until 1992 when a private television company, HBB, broadcasted it. So it was about 20 years until the film was actually shown in Turkey. The real Billy Hayes came out and spoke about the movie 20 years after its release and said that this film was exactly not what he wanted. It was really exaggerated in part. He actually went to visit Turkey in 2007, 2008, one of those dates, and he attended and arranged a publicized press conference in front of the Turkish media, which was global, by the way, and he stated that the film Midnight Express was just a one-sided misrepresentation of the experiences he endured in Turkey. He also said that he regrets and takes responsibility 
for the damage that this film eventually perpetrated on the image of Turkey to the world for decades after the late 70s. And this is true. Even today, people don't want to go to Turkey because of this film. It's given Turkey such a bad reputation as hostile, evil, and out for their own and completely, you know, just it's un- it, the film shows unfair treatment to foreigners, which, of course, is sort of the premise of this film. He went on to say, along with Oliver Stone and the director, Alan Parker, that the treatment inside the prisons and the encounter he has with some of the Turks were quite over the top. Now, apparently, the real Billy Hayes was trying to amend this false image of Turkey for many years, but the image and wide success of the movie on a global scale was just too much to fight the movie did so well it was such a hit it was um it was nothing that anyone had seen before it was just so bleak and there's some you know there's some violence in that movie that was quite um attractive for the wrong reasons it was just one of the big films of the 70s and this was you know this was a film that was in the same decade as rocky and godfather and jaws and star wars so you know this film was doing really well and it was based on a true story as well which a lot of people found really appealing he also claimed that he made friends with a lot of Turks whilst inside before and after he was incarcerated, but that was never even suggested in the movie. The movie does not actually depict one good Turkish person in the entire running time of the movie. Now, for me, looking at it from an artistic standpoint, I understand why they did this, but this is, of course, where the debate comes from. Some of the true stories we hear about, of course, are exaggerated because the real-life encounters aren't as glamorous enough to really stretch our imaginations for two hours on screen this is there you know there's a moment and then there's a headline story and that's and that's it and then you have to fill the two hour gap and that proves to be quite hard in hollywood especially when you're trying to make money to satisfy the audience i mean let's not forget here what the movie industry is about it's about it's a business so it does hold a certain degree of responsibility as well but at the end of the day, the main reason is to sell money or make money, not sell money, um, which is probably why we have all these sequels and prequels and remakes because they sell. That's why we have Fast and the Furious 9 coming. That's why Mission Impossible are going on their seventh move because we've already established who the characters are. We've fallen in love with these characters, so we know their story. So we want to see them on another adventure and you know, people are going to pay the money to see it. Um, but the responsibility, I mean, surely is to tell the story as accurately as you can, right? Surely it's, if, if it's based on a true story. But that isn't nearly the case, especially with this film. It's trying to tell the basic story in the most celebrated way possible. So it sells tickets. And at the expense, not of a person's reputation, but of a country's reputation to the world. I mean, this happens in Hollywood all the time, and it's really misleading. But the interesting thing here is once the movie is over, nowadays people start to look these people up or these events up, these true moments that have happened in the movie or portrayed in the film, and they'll go on the internet. And usually if you read into it, you start to realize the crap you've been fed by watching a glamorous Hollywood movie, trying to apparently dish you with an education on history or a biopic of a real person. But the second the movie's over and you actually do a bit of research on it you realize that this movie's fabricated a lot of the you know the basis of this movie i mean for instance the pursuit of happiness uh with will smith um a single father who would do anything and has done everything possible to take care of his son was the basis for the film about a man on his way to making his first million by becoming a stockbroker so that's the, that's the idea that's the film that's the you know that's the basis of the movie unfortunately for the sake of hollywood though the original story was not good enough or light-hearted enough. 
So while Chris Gardner, who Will Smith plays in The Pursuit of Happiness, was depicted as a humble, non-violent man in the film, this was not the case in real life. The real Chris Gardner allegedly was abusive towards his ex-wife and even kept their son from her as a form of punishment. He sold and used illegal drugs and was reportedly not a single father, nor was he homeless at any point. There are all these allegations, of course, but the plan of cutting out the negative parts sure made for a great movie. And this is where the magic of, uh, I guess, propaganda comes in with these so-called true stories. You look at Saving Mr. Banks. The film is completely inaccurate. She was completely against the making of Mary Poppins up until the very end. The film doesn't show that in any way. Captain Phillips is another example, another film of Tom Hanks. I mean, Tom Hanks plays him incorrectly, and it's not his fault. It's the studio's fault or whoever wrote the screenplay. I mean, the real crew members um, who were with Captain Phillips, every single one of them said he would never follow protocol. He was not heroic at all. He was purposely putting us in danger. He was self-righteous, just awful things that were said about him. And it's the sole reason why he got captured. And the blind side, you know, that was a big one too. Um, So big that the actual footballer, Michael Adair, I think his name was, said that the film publicly ruined his career. And he's actually on a personal crusade to seek justice for the real story. But no one has heard of this crusade. Instead, everyone's attention is on Sandra Bullock winning her first Oscar for that film. It's not her fault, though. It's just a studio making a fairy tale story out of a 5% headline. And that's where the problem comes in. You'd think they'd learn the lesson with Midnight Express after not just damaging a person, like I said before, or like they did in Blindside or Captain Phillips or The Pursuit of Happiness, but a whole country, especially a country like Turkey, that somewhat relies on tourism. But no, Hollywood carries on doing these things, half-told stories to sell tickets. Clearly, the answer to what's more important, selling tickets or telling the story, is very evident from these earlier examples. Anyway, but that's my rant over about that. I don't even think the film is done in Turkey. I think they denied it. They, of course, rightfully denied filming in Turkey, especially with the contents of the film. I think they, um, I think they denied any filming of the story once they uh, they read the screenplay, and rightfully so. I think they ended up filming it in Malta. Some of the uh, actors who are playing Turks in the film are, I think, the term is Maltese, Maltese, um, not Turkish. Um, but obviously not many Western audiences, including the Brits, uh, would know the difference. But still, that was quite a big thing to get wrong in the movie. So there's an instance where an actor who was from Malta didn't know his line in Turkish. And he said his line in Maltese and it was just left in the movie. Now, of course, we're not going to know the difference unless you speak Turkish or Maltese. But, you know, if this is this film shown in Turkey or anywhere in Europe where they understand the dialect, then this is a big thing. So this is just another sort of, uh, you know, ignorant thinking by um, a Hollywood movie. But yes, Turkey completely resented this movie and every everyone pretty much involved in the movie offered a public apology to this version of the story, including Oliver Stone, who wrote it. But, you know, let's see how the film did, because people know the film very well. And with that catch-22 moment, the less they actually know about the film or the story of Billy Hayes, you know, the less they know about the real uh, occurrence. I mean, I think the key message is don't smuggle drugs out of a foreign country, plain and simple. But the repercussions, Jesus Christ. But um, So Oliver Stone wrote the first draft of the screenplay in six weeks. He even wrote a detailed ending of Billy's escape when crossing the border to Greece. But... The director, Alan Parker, got rid of that entire section. The movie ends with him escaping and that's it. The rest is written on screen for us, like I said. The movie did quite well. Well, pretty much, you know, 
the Shawshank Redemption of the 70s, this film was, and it killed the box office, where Shawshank actually didn't kill the box office in the 90s. I think the budget for Midnight Express was uh, was just $2.3 million and ended up grossing 15 times the amount, just over $33 million. It was nominated for five Oscars, winning two of them uh, for Best Screenplay, uh, ironically, uh, for Oliver Stone, and Best Music too. The big winner of the 1979 Oscars was Deer Hunter, which I think actually beat... Uh, Midnight Express on the other categories it was nominated for. Funnily enough, the director of Deer Hunter, Michael Camino, was shown this script for Midnight Express first by Oliver Stone, but told him he was committed into making Deer Hunter, and obviously those two led the way in the 1979 Academy Awards, which is quite interesting. But along with the awful portrayal of this movie, or the tone it brings to Turkey, the story is somewhat inaccurate too. Like I said, yes, they take the headline story, which is American spends life in Turkish prison for little crime, which is a small possession of drugs. That's the headline and the catch. Uh, and the catch is he, is he uh, escapes at the end. So they've got, you know, Hollywood basically look at the true life uh, headline, which is American spends life in Turkish prison for little crime. And then the sort of catch is that he escapes at the end. Now, they've got to fill that two hour gap to make it a good movie. But they did. They did. They did that. But none of it is really true. Um which is, you know, the annoying thing. True story. And those to a studio, the only facts they will look at. The rest of the execution is to fill in the gap between the headline and the catch. And thus, this is where the movie deviates a little bit. We already know about the violence in this movie. Him ripping out someone's tongue, which is a very famous scene in Midnight Express. The Turks being portrayed in this movie and the homosexual relations he had with this man. In the movie, he refuses the advances. But in reality, they had a relationship. One of the many things they got wrong. And talking about the violence, though, for a prison movie, this only, only this film only has two deaths. I mean, well, I say two. There's only actually one person that dies. The only other person that dies is a cat. So really only one person dies, and that's a prison warden right at the end. Now, that's a massive thing they got wrong because that leads to his escape, and that never happened. So basically he shoves a prison warden into a, a coat hanger hook on the wall when he dies, but that doesn't happen in the real life. At the end of the movie, Billy Hayes killed the guard... I think his name's Hamdale, by pushing him into a, yeah, it was a cloven rack and impaling him. In uh, real life, it wasn't even Billy Hayes that killed the head guard, but a recent paroled prisoner. And when he spotted Hamdale drinking tea at a cafe outside and shot him eight times, killing him, that's how he died in real life. But Billy's actual escape was not killing that guard and getting dressed in his clothes and walking out the prison door, which is what happens in Midnight Express. But he was able to get transferred to a minimum security prison and one night was able to cross the border into Greece as was the escape plan talked about earlier in the movie. And, you know, that's all that happened. And that's also actually detailed in the book that he wrote as well. I mean, if I detach myself from the true story and simply watch this as a piece of filmmaking and a great screenplay from Oliver Stone, then I must say that Midnight Express is a very powerful film. And it it does suck the audience into this Turkish prison. And we exactly, you know, we know who Billy Hayes is from this movie. And the film obviously plays on the themes of loneliness and being in a foreign place with a language barrier, which is even more scary. As time goes on, he befriends, uh, you know, fellow Westerners and eventually escapes the reins of this prison. The fact that the prison is somewhat casual to what we normally see in later prison movies is irrelevant for Midnight Express because the important thing is the outside world just ticks on while he remains inside the walls. The fact that he's in prison is actually redundant. It's the fact that he's stuck in a very bad part of Turkey. And that's what the film is trying to get at, hence the criticism for this movie in terms of authenticity. But look, anyways, uh, that's all I have time with Midnight Express, a sample of brilliance that was coming out in the 70s, the idea of bleak exploration in films that were critically acclaimed. And the film is down as a classic because of the 
you know, the well-directed film by Alan Parker and how he shot this movie and the brutal, you know, how the brutality of the characters and the emotions that fluctuated throughout the two hours. It is a great film, but in term, it's just one of the, it's, it's one of the biggest examples of films just, or Hollywood just, you know, not staying authentic to the actual story. So anyway, please subscribe to me on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. And I'm also on Instagram, Film Exploration AH, or lowercase or one word. And once again, thank you for listening to episode 55 with Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.